coming up in this episode. ISIS has metastasized over a couple of continents now. They're in Europe. They're in the United States. They're in Africa. They're in Latin America. Mike Rogers, former FBI agent, former congressman, former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, has seen the classified information on the Islamic State group and knows as much as anyone about the threats it poses, its own vulnerabilities, and what's needed to stop it. And Rogers says preparing to react is not the answer. My belief is if, if we're worried about the right kind of guards and guns at a, an event, we're at the wrong end of that equation. We have got to get it in the upstream. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Whether it's anarchists, cyber criminals, nation states, or terrorists, America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. I'm J.J. Green. The terrorism picture in the U.S. is very clear. ISIL is able to recruit and inspire people to launch attacks. DHS is very active in communities around the country trying to persuade people not to join up. The FBI is working day and night, sifting through leads, looking for potential hotspots. Overseas, the military is heavily involved in a war to destroy the group. But in the meantime, it continues to launch attacks. Mike Rogers, as chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, warned that a stiff strategy to defeat ISIL was necessary. And on this program, he explains what that strategy looks like. Al-Qaeda had the snot kicked out of them in the uh, tribal areas of Pakistan. Just pretty devastating. It was like, we should learn a lot from this. Very high tempo, meaning somebody gets promoted, they get taken off the battlefield. Somebody else gets promoted, take them off the battlefield. We don't have that now. We have this kind of fits and starts thing that worries me a lot. ISIS has metastasized over, you know, a couple of continents now. Uh, They're in Europe. They're in the United States. They're in Africa. They're in Latin America. Okay, I spoke to Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson about what to do. He said, among other things, because he did mention uh, more of a comprehensive strategy, but one thing he mentioned was stadiums. Uh, pro and collegiate sport, sporting events and any kind of public events or problems, businesses, hotels, shopping malls, all of those are now getting a very close look. How then does DHS prevent it? My belief is if, if we're worried about the right kind of guards and guns at a, an event, we're at the wrong end of that equation. We have got to get it in the upstream. So we've got to disrupt their ability to pull off these inspiration and planning and coordinating events, uh, which, again, means very, very aggressive activity overseas where it starts. Uh, And then we're going to have to make sure that all of our intelligence is integrated. If you're going to have these watch lists, then make sure that they talk to each other. Make sure that there's coordination of these lists. The policymakers are going to have to set up exactly what gets you on the list, why, and what that means. What exactly can or can you not do once you're on one of these lists? The Tide list, I think, has a million people on this list. Um, the no-fly list, pretty large number. And if you remember, everybody was beating on the FBI for a while saying, oh, you know, you've got too many people on the list that don't deserve to be there. You've got to get people off the list. So we, we're going to have to come up with a mission set saying, well, okay, we understand we have a big threat here. We're going to de- let the military deal with the threat 
in Syria, and we're going to be aggressive about it. And then our intelligence uh, folks, including our FBI, is going to aggressively use intelligence that they can get, integrate it, and try to disrupt activities before it gets there. Good morning, everyone, and thank you so much for being here. This is an awesome opportunity. A little more than two years ago, I had the privilege of moderating a discussion between Mike Rogers, House Intelligence Committee Chairman, a Republican, and Dutch Rupersberger, the vice chair and ranking member of the same committee, a Democrat. And oddly enough, Rupersberger mentioned something about a situation that had taken place in Florida that we never thought much about since then until the shooting in Orlando. In hindsight, it adds more credence to Roger's conversation with us today about why intelligence connecting the dots is so important. I think Mike and I are really concerned about what we have Americans now who have passports that are going to Syria to get radical, and they're becoming radicalized. We had a situation where an individual went to Syria, was trained as a suicide bomber, came home, see his parents, went back and blew himself up and killed other people. Now, you know, that could have happened. He could have done something in the United States. And our concern is... It turns out he did do something in the United States. That was the man that was the acquaintance of Omar Mateen, who shot more than 100 people at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, killing 49. The suicide bomber's name was Abu Salah. Authorities in Florida knew that Salah and Mateen had met. And as Rogers has told us before, and he'll reiterate it again, the fact that the authorities weren't able to do anything is a huge problem. So they knew who this guy was. They knew he had expressed extremist views, but they didn't have enough. They didn't have the right tools to put it all together to at least stop him from buying a gun. Okay, well, we need to fix that. And then uh, we need to, again, make sure that information is integrated so that you're not worried about the guy who's checking the hand, the bag at the, at the theater or at the sports authority catching the bad guy. We need to catch it much further upstream than that. What you're talking about here is tempo of activity against the Islamic State. And you've mentioned that before, that the U.S. needs a concerted, consistent effort against this organization. And you believe that significant parts of this problem could be eliminated if the U.S. government and military uh, turned up the tempo of activities against the Islamic State outside of the United States. Explain that to us. So when we diminish that tempo... Uh, it has an effect on allowing these organizations to, to regroup, to refinance, to, to recruit, do all the things that they need to do. And so that's been happening a little bit beyond, you know, it's, it's faster than people have thought. That's a trouble. That's a problem for us. We're going to have to deal with it. And, and Western intelligence services are going to have to deal with it in law enforcement, as well as we're going to have to empower our African allies, our Asian allies, on how to tr- start dealing with this in ways they haven't had to deal with in the past. Mm. One more thing I would ask you, even more broadly, what do you think are the threats that the U.S. is facing right now? Beyond terror? Terrorism included. I yeah. mean, what, what do you think are the biggest ones where the U.S. is facing? Yeah, I th- you're, these more inspired lone wolf events are going to happen. That's the unfortunate thing. We're going to have to try to deal with that. The biggest one we don't talk about much is the cyber attack. The, our adversaries are getting better and more aggressive. The Russians are getting better and more aggressive. The Islamic State group is among those adversaries getting better at using cybercrime to facilitate their mission. Malware is a key tool for cybercriminals, but so is ransomware. And sooner or later, terrorists are going to figure out how to deploy it. And Rogers thinks that time may be sooner than later. 
this will be the year of ransomware. Uh, people will get their from everything from your iPhone taken over for a four hundred dollar charge. You can get act from people who are in going in your iPhone, encrypting it, and selling it back, selling you the keys basically for four hundred bucks. To where we saw at the Presbyterian Hospital in Los Angeles, where they took over all of the hospital operations, shut the thing down, and uh, ended up selling uh, the keys back to that for fifteen thousand dollars. We've seen a one thousand percent increase of what was already large in malware that resembles ransomware trying to get into companies, iPhones, and businesses near you. We are nowhere near where we need to be to be dealing with it. Matter of fact, the premier law enforcement agency in the world, the FBI, when the Presbyterian Hospital called and said, oh my gosh, we have our, somebody took over our system, encrypted our data, and now wants to charge us money to, to undo it. What do we do? And the FBI said, pay, pay him. That's a problem. Mm. Big problem. Not only are cyber thieves leveraging technology to work their will on the world, so are the target of this particular program, terror groups, specifically the Islamic State Organization. We spoke with Joshua School earlier this year, who was special agent in charge of the FBI's Washington Field Office Intelligence Division at the time. He's now assistant director in charge of intelligence at FBI headquarters. And he explained to us that the Islamic State group has a very good grasp of the technology and how to make it work for them to help them stay out of view of U.S. intelligence collection agencies. And in the intelligence field where that comes into play is we are trying to develop and connect dots and pieces of information, disparate pieces of information. If you're missing half of that piece because you cannot see it, it becomes even more difficult to connect the threat. For the layman, could you break down just a bit what you mean when you say you can't see, specifically because of encryption issues? Um, yeah, a lot of people have a general idea of what's, what, what you're talking about. But how does it work that they're able to avoid detection and able to work in the dark? So first, I am not an encryption expert, but I can talk to you about end-to-end encryption in the sense that when I send a message, I, the, the way the message is encrypted, I can't even uh, decrypt it. And so you and I could be having a conversation that no one except for you and I would be able to see. So despite the fact that we abide by the legal process and we would go to see a judge traditionally to get a warrant to intercept communications, even if we were to go through that process, we still could not see the communications going on between two terrorists, two bad guys, two spies. And so as you can imagine, as you're trying to look at the totality of a threat that may be facing the United States, specific Washington, D.C., we are missing pieces to that puzzle only because we don't have the capability to see it. We have the authority to see it. We don't have the capability to see it. The companies have created, as I understand it, the ability for two people to communicate and, and only two people. That's Joshua School. He's now the FBI's assistant director in charge of intelligence. But back to Mike Rogers's point for a moment, needing to get out ahead of the Islamic State group before it launches attacks to interdict them upstream. A lot of what they do, speaking specifically about the Islamic State group, speaking specifically about terrorists, is on the Internet. A lot of what they do is technology-based. Uh, and getting out ahead of that, Considering what school just told us about the ability to communicate and to engage in the dark is very, very difficult. 
And as terrorists and other criminals are becoming increasingly proficient at these technological advances, the world itself appears to be increasingly engulfed by chaotic events. Even stable parts of the world now appear vulnerable. A perfect example is Britain's vote to leave the EU, the Brexit. And in our next episode... In terms of counterterrorism, uh, intelligence sharing and so forth, there will be some constraints uh, on the legal situation if the UK uh, leaves the European Union, but I'm sure that people will want to try and find uh, the best way of continuing to ensure the security uh, of our people, uh, even in this new situation. David O'Sullivan, EU ambassador to the US, will discuss... How the Brexit will impact EU and U.S. security relations. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA.